Welcome to the Indianola First Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you, encourage you, and launch you into life-changing action. Man, it's easy just to get lost in his presence, isn't it? I love spring. How many were happy to see the sunshine this morning? I drove here, and there was these buds in the trees that are starting to come through, and I just love spring. I love the fresh green grass. People like the smell of grass, cut grass. Uh, Ross, thank you for cutting the church grass. I mean, I know we pay you, but still, you do an awesome job and smelled so good after you cut it yesterday. I was like, I just wanted to lay in it and go, because I wasn't the one cutting it. I love the smell of the dirt when it thaws. You guys know what I'm talking about? And there's something just about all of it, spring itself, that just, it fires me up to go to work outside. And it gets, as it gets a little warmer, I love opening up the windows and the house and just letting it air out, get all that stinky winter air out. How many many have done that? Yeah, it's awesome, isn't it? It feels so good. I love letting the fresh air in. And I'm not even super motivated to clean most of the time. But, but in the spring, and Alyssa, don't hold this against me, please. And don't, don't remind me I said this. But in the springtime, cleaning the garage, cleaning the yard up, deep cleaning the house, it just seems like I have energy to do it most of the time. Yeah. In the spring. When I feel like it. As I'm saying this, I'm going, she's going to tell me I have to clean because I have all this energy. And I, 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 yeah. I just love spring. In our blood series, we got into some of the religious practices of the Israelites and practices that were mandated by the Mosaic law. We talked a lot about the Passover meal and historically how it commemorated the Exodus uh, for them from Egypt. Uh, But what happened to the Israelites after they left Egypt? I'm just going to give you a quick little thing, and most of you know this, but just so we are all in the same spot here, most of you know that they crossed the Red Sea on dry ground. When they arrived at Mount Sinai, where Moses received the law, including the Ten Commandments, uh, you you know, that was on the other side of the Red Sea. And we know that the people rebelled because he was up there so long on the mountain. They even longed to go back to Egypt. Can you imagine? They'd just seen all this miraculous thing, all, things, all these plagues, all these, uh, these miraculous signs that got them out of bondage, that got them out of slavery. They cross over the Red Sea on dry ground, and they're like, oh, this has taken a little too long, God, to get this law. Moses has been up the mountain a long time. Wasn't it better just to be back in Egypt where we were bound and we were in slavery? And Man, that was, that, those were the days. That's kind of what they did. They still long for the slavery they experienced in Egypt. But before we judge them for that, let's remember that their bondage was comfortable. They knew it well because they had lived in it for so long. And don't ever forget that being comfortable in your bondage is still the polar opposite of being free. Being comfortable doesn't constitute freedom, and bondage is always bondage. Slavery is always slavery. I could preach on that, but I'm not going to. Because the Israelites had sinned, they were punished with having to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. They had literally built a golden idol and worshipped it when they grew tired of waiting for Moses to come back down the mountain with the word that he was receiving from the Lord. 
And God didn't cease to love them. He continued to provide for them, making sure they had food every day, manna from heaven, as well as water. But as, as the generation who had sinned began to die off, God kept his promises to his people. And he led them to the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey, a land of blessing. This was the land of Canaan. And in Leviticus 14, 34 through 53, it's a kind of a larger portion of scripture. I just want us to look at it carefully. So put on your, your attention, uh, your ability to, to pay attention this morning, and we're going to go through it kind of quickly. But I, I want you to see this because he says this to, to them. When you arrive in Canaan, the land I'm giving you as an inheritance, I may contaminate some of your houses with an infectious mildew. That really sounds like the land of blessing, doesn't it? The owner of such a house must then go to the priest and say, it looks like my house has some kind of disease. Before the priest examines the house, he must have the house emptied so everything inside will not be pronounced unclean. Then the priest will go in and inspect the house. If he finds bright green or reddish streaks on the walls of the house and the contamination appears to go deeper than the wall's surface, he will leave the house and lock it up for seven days. On the seventh day, the priest must return for another inspection. If the mildew on the walls of the house has spread, the priest must order that the stones from those areas be removed. The contaminated material will then be thrown into an area outside the town designated ceremonially unclean. So, you know, we've been talking a lot about things in the Old Testament, it seems like through that blood series, we talked a lot about the, the Passover and how everything had meaning. I assure you, everything in here has meaning. It's all there for a reason. We're going to get into a little bit of it today. Verse 41. Next, the inside walls of the entire house must be scraped thoroughly and the scrapings dumped in the unclean place outside the town. Other stones will be brought in to replace the ones that were removed and the walls will be replastered. But if the mildew reappears after all these things have been done, the priest must return and inspect and inspect the house again. If he sees that the infected areas have spread, the walls are clearly contaminated with an infectious mildew and the house is defiled. It must be torn down and, it's, and all its stones, timbers, and plaster must be carried out of town to the place designated ceremonially unclean. Are you following so far? Okay. Now verse 46, anyone who enters the house will while it is closed, will be considered ceremonially unclean until evening. All who sleep or eat in the house must wash their clothing. But if the priest returns for his inspection and finds that the affected areas have not reappeared after the fresh plastering, then he will pronounce the house clean because the infectious mildew is clearly gone. To purify the house then, the priest will need two birds. And this is going to seem a little similar to you or a little uh, uh, reminisce of what we've been talking about with the Day of Atonement and some of the Passover things we talk about. But verse 50, I'm sorry, verse 49. To purify the house, he will need two birds, some cedar wood, a scarlet cloth, and a hyssop branch. He will slaughter one of the birds over a clay pot that is filled with fresh spring water. Then he will dip the cedar wood, the hyssop branch, the scarlet cloth, and the living bird into the blood of the slaughtered bird, and he will sprinkle the house seven times. Aren't you glad we don't live under the old covenant anymore? I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on here. And again, I mean, he's sprinkling blood seven times all over your house, bird blood. 
Weren't we trying to get rid of contamination here? I mean, verse 52. After he has purified the house in this way, he will release the living bird in the open fields outside the town. And in this way, the priest will make atonement. What does atonement mean, by the way? To, to cover, right, to cover. He will make atonement for the house, and it will be ceremonially, ceremonially man, that's a hard word to say, clean. All right, so God warns them that when they go into this land, they're going to experience some problems when living in the homes of the people that they conquered. He tells them that their homes could develop a spreading mildew, or as some translations phrase it, a mark of leprosy. So if anyone noticed this spreading mildew on the walls of their house, if anything with even the appearance of a destructive mildew showed up, they had a serious problem, and it had to be dealt with immediately. Then, of course, God gave specific instructions, as he often does in the, in the Old Covenant, specific instructions on what had to be done to get this house purified, if it even could be. So I want to give you four steps in house cleaning that they had to perform. And we're going to get to the point of this in a minute. But just follow along. Hang with me. Are you still with me? Okay. So house cleaning, uh, four steps in house cleaning because it's spring and, you know, I love spring and I love to clean. But not all the time, Alyssa. So, okay. So four steps in house cleaning. Number one, confession. Confession. That was the first thing that they were told to do. The first thing that the owner of the house had to do in order to treat this problem was to confess his problem of spreading mildew to the expert. He had to tell the priest. That was the expert. He was not to attempt to hide it, to cover up, or ignore the problem. He was to admit that he had a problem. I hope your mind is going here a little bit and trying to connect the dots, the parallels here. That's what you should be doing. But he had to confess this problem to the priest. Then the second thing he had to do was removal. He had to empty from his house and remove from the house anything that would encourage the growth of this spreading mildew. He also had to remove these things from the house so that they would not hide the potential problem from the priest. If these items were left in the way, it could make it difficult, if not impossible, for the priest to get a good look at the problem. Again, he had to confess the problem, and he had to remove, he had to empty his items from the house. He had to take everything out so the priest could inspect it really well. In other words, he had to lay it all open. He had to show it all. He had, he had to remove all the stuff in the way. Thirdly, he had to repair and replace. Repair and replace. This was to treat the problem, this repair and replace. If the priest found that the mildew had spread on the walls after his inspection... He ordered that the contaminated stones be torn down or torn out and taken to a spot outside of town. Then he ordered the walls of the house to be scraped clean and the scrapings were to be taken outside of the town. After this was done, new stones, everybody say new stones, were to be put in place and, walls, and, and the walls of the house needed to have new clay and plaster put on them. So they didn't just cover it up, confess it, remove everything out of the way so it could be seen, remove it out of there, right? And then take the stones out, take the bad stones out, put new stones in, but don't just cover it up. Take, take it from the root of it. Take the whole, whole stone out, right? And then replace it with new ones. The fourth thing they had to do is purify. 
The final step in the treatment was for the house to be purified. The purification came by way of a ceremony performed by the priest. It consisted, and we just read it, of taking two birds. The first bird was killed over a pot of fresh water, allowing the blood to drip into the pot. Then the live bird, along with some cedar wood, hyssop, and scarlet yarn, was immersed into the blood and water. And then the live bird was released in the open fields outside the town. In this way, the individual made atonement for the house and it would now be unclean. We just read it. God had many, and I want you to understand this, God had many specific instructions regarding health and cleanliness for the Israelites. And this passage refers to infectious mildew in a person's house. But of course, again, it it has a much deeper implication than what we see in the surface. All that we read in Leviticus is what a person must do for their house to be clean and free from the infectious leprous mildew. And and I I use the word leprous because other translations use it, but, but it is exactly the same word that's used for mildew. Leprous, mildew, Uh, infectious disease, all those come from that same Hebrew word. Leprosy is a symbol or is symbolic in the Old Testament of sin. And so our minds start going, okay, what's going on here? This green and red marks in the house and this leprosy, this sin in the walls of the house? What is he talking about? What is this? God compares sin to an infectious disease that spreads and kills and rots away the flesh until it literally disintegrates. And let's not miss the parallel here in reference to cleaning a house from leprosy. The Bible uses the word house to describe many things other than mere physical homes. The word house is used to describe a nation, the house of Israel, a family, the house of Cornelius. The church, 1 Timothy 3, describes the church as the household of the living God. The word house is also used in reference to the Christian. In 1 Peter 2, 4, it says, as you come to him, the living stone rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We're compared to our own personal life as a spiritual house. Could it be that God was instructing the Israelites to do some house cleaning to more than just their physical home? Could it be that the detailed instructions given to God's people about house cleaning so many thousands of years ago actually apply to God's people today, but in reference to their spiritual house? And I want to point something out here that we just can't ignore. The issue of leprous mildew in the house came right after they moved into the promised land. I mean, I thought about this. Hey, you finally made it to the promised land, but you know what? When you get there, there's going to be some leprosy in your home. And I I thought about that for a while. I'm like, that doesn't make sense. I mean, this was victory time, right? This was the realization of the dream that they had all been dreaming 40 years of desert wandering, a punishment for the blatant idolatry of their fathers and mothers. 40 years of wandering in a desert that physically could be crossed in 11 days. Think about that. 40 years of tent dwelling. You ever go camping for 40 years? (laughs) 
I don't want to go camping for a weekend. I mean, I know some of you guys are campers, but I think camping is spending a lot of money to pretend you're poor. Does that make sense? Okay. All right. Forty years of moving their flocks and herds as they followed the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. And it's interesting. We, we know about the pillar of fire and of cloud, or the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud. I don't think we always think about it lasting 40 years, but it did. It led them all over the desert. Can you imagine? I mean, you, you get all settled. You get your campsite built. You're all hanging out. It feels like a good spot. And then all of a sudden, there goes the cloud. Over oh, here, we got to pack up and move again. Maybe I'm weird. I just think things like that. 40 years of that. 40 years behind them, and they were now in this land of blessing that had been promised to Abraham so many years before. And, and one of the first things they have to be aware of was leprosy in their house, diseased, moldy wall conditions with, within their homes they, they chose to live in as they drove the prior inhabitants out of the, out of the land. I mean, this should be their, ah, finally, we have a solid home. It should be that kind of moment for them. And the first thing is, Oh yeah, you're, you're in the promised land. It's a great place, the land flowing with milk and honey. You got leprosy in your house maybe though. <laughs> Let's not forget something. It's in those mountaintop moments. It's in those moments of realized victories that the devil shows up with his temptation and lies and sin comes knocking at your door. I was listening to a great sermon the other day by Stephen Furtick. Any Stephen Furtick fans out here? He's awesome, isn't he? He was preaching, and he, he was talking about Simon Peter and how even though Jesus changed Simon's name to Peter, Simon was still in there. I thought it was so good. Simon means reed. Peter means rock. A reed is a plant that sways whenever any outside force pushes against it. So it just sways. It's, it's, it's very, it's very um, uh, impressionable. It moves with whatever's pushed on it. It sways. I think uh, uh, when, when Jesus said, every wind of doctrine is swayed by every wind of doctrine, that is like the definition of Simon's name. A reed swaying in the wind. And yet he called him Peter. A rock, the rock, the the or Petra, and that implies immovability. It's, they're, they're, they're names, these names are opposites. And, and I think it's interesting, Jesus called out the potential in Peter by calling him Peter. Called out the potential in Simon by calling him Peter. But even after he called him Peter, he still had some Simon moments in his life. What, what's my point? We have all been called out of darkness into the light. We are new creations in him, right? Hallelujah, thank God, chitty, chitty, bang, bang. Whatever you want to say. But as true as that is, we all still mess up. We stumble, we fall, and when we do, there is a process first given to God's people in reference to their homes. And yet it's applicable to us today when the leprosy of sin starts to infect our spiritual house. We are new creations in him. Don't, don't let anybody take that away from you, right? You are bought with a price. But, 
there could be a little Simon in you yet. I don't know of anybody who's perfect. How many have messed up in the last, oh, I don't know, two months? Come on, I just want honesty. We're voting today. I don't care if you don't like to vote. You messed up in the last two months. How many messed up in the last week? How many messed up on the way to church this morning? How many messed up at church this morning? <laughs> we are human. We make mistakes. Don't beat yourself up so much that you feel like every time you blow it, you're not God's anymore. You, you are bought with a price. You are secure in, in your salvation unless you turn from him and run down the roads of sin, okay? You're secure in him. But that doesn't mean you're perfect. There's a day coming when we're going to when we're going to receive our perfect bodies and we're going to be immortal and you know we celebrated Colleen Labertu's funeral yesterday and, and or celebrated her life yesterday it was so wonderful her boys shared I think they're here today are both boys here or just one are both two they're two they're two it is such an awesome job. We were celebrating her life, though. And, and we know that there's a perfection that happens when we get there. But guess what? None of us are there yet. And we make mistakes. We blow it from time to time. Why do I say that? Because we need to look at the scripture we just read and apply it to our spiritual house today. And there's four steps in house cleaning for us that we need to get in, we need to start the process. Number one, confession. Looks familiar, doesn't it? The first thing we need to do is confess our problem to our house doctor, to the expert, to our high priest. We need to confess our problem to Jesus. If we are going to be able to clean our house, we must take an honest and truthful look at ourselves. We are called to be holy, and our model is Jesus, and none of us, none of us, not one of us has arrived yet. How soon do you confess your sin? Absolutely as fast as you can. You know, the more mature you get in the Lord, the quicker you realize you sinned. I think quick confession is a mark of maturity. I won't think about that because sometimes we think, well, if you never confess anything, then people will think me as mature because there's nothing wrong with me. That's the opposite of maturity. Quick confession. Am I stepping on anybody's toes this morning? Am I? No? Okay, good. You're perfect. Okay. <laughs> kidding. I think Scripture's meant to step on our toes a little bit. The second thing we've got to do is, is we've got to go through the process of removal. The second thing we need to do is remove some things from our house. There are two types of things we need to remove. Things that promote the spread of uncleanliness and sin... And these are the things in our life that sin feeds on. Open the front door to your spiritual house and walk around. And if you see bitterness, envy, jealousy, unforgiveness, greed, selfishness, anger, hatred, sexual immorality, or anything like that, if you see any of these things there, walk over to them, pick them up, and throw them outside your spiritual house. And while you're in your house walking around, there's a... Another thing you need to remove, it's something else that you need to throw outside. 
These are, these are things that get in the way and prevent you from seeing and dealing with your sin problem. And they're not hard to find. They're about the biggest items in your house. Do you see them over there? That one's called pride and that one's self-righteousness. Personally, I don't have any of these problems. I see a lot of others that do, but I, I know myself better than anyone and I know that I can handle it. I don't need anyone trying to teach me anything. I'm the pastor. <laughs> Come on, church, let's, let's throw those things outside and let's remember they are extremely heavy. Those are heavy things. And what do you do when you lift something heavy? You bend your knees, right? You gotta bend your knees. And not only that, you might need some help carrying them out. Jesus is always ready to give you a hand, and you can also ask a brother or sister in Christ to help. There's things that we have in this church, programs, different other things. There's, there's some counseling you could get. I, I don't care what it is. Get some help. Get on your knees. Have, ask Jesus to help you, but get those things out of your house. Don't let them sit there. Remove them. That's important. Three, we've got to repair and replace. You can't really do that until you remove but repair and replace, that's the third thing we need to do. And replace those infected parts of our house with the building materials that Christ offers us. And what are those? I'm, I'm going to be really quick with these. I'm just going to give you a scripture with the building blocks. It says it better than I ever could. Galatians 5, 19 through 23. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, your lives will produce these evil results. Sexual immorality, impure thoughts, eagerness for lustful pleasure, idolatry, participation in demonic activities, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, divisions, the feeling that everyone is wrong except those in your own little group, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other kinds of sin. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living all that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But when the Holy Spirit controls your life, he will produce this kind of fruit in us, Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And here, with those things, there's no conflict with the law. You walk in all those. This is kind of an interesting thing. We like to call them, and we hear them called this a lot. I've actually seen book titles with this. The Fruits of the Spirit as if every one of those is a separate fruit that you can have. But you know what it really says? The fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is all of those. There's a big difference. Well, I fail in this one, but I'm good in this one, so I have some of them, and I think if, well, I've got, I've got more than half of them. That's pretty good. <laughs> the fruit of the Spirit is all of it. Those are the building blocks that we replace when, when we remove those things and then we repair and replace. Those are the building blocks we use to repair and replace. And the fourth thing, purify. And lastly, we, we, we need to be purified of our sin. It is significant that purifying a house or a leper from sin involved immersion in water and blood. And I didn't mention this before, but right before this, this stuff about the house in Leviticus, 
It talks about the process to purify someone with leprosy. It's the exact same thing. Leprosy is sin in the Old Testament, by the way, many, many times, at least for us that we need to look at it that way. Jesus himself became the sacrifice, as we know. We've been hammering on it for six, seven weeks. He became the sacrifice for us. His blood was shed on the cross for you and for me. We apply that blood to our lives when we ask him into our hearts. His gift of sacrifice is free to anyone who wants it. You just need to receive it. Fresh water represents baptism and a life led by the Holy Spirit. Jesus paid the price for your sins. He became the perfect sacrifice, but the Spirit of God inside us gives us the power to live it out. And I want to mention the scarlet thread that that we read about in Leviticus in the Leviticus verses. It's just one time there out of multiple times in the Bible. I believe scarlet thread is referenced I'm almost positive this is the right number, 52 times. And if you were to, Pastor Jerry, we should do a series sometime on the scarlet thread from Genesis all the way through Revelation because it weaves together the entire Bible. And it always, always, always points to the shed blood of Jesus. What is the Bible? I mean, what what is the Bible? It, It is really the unfolding story of man's redemption, right? And there's this scarlet thread thing that just weaves. It it just shows up in these spots. Scarlet thread, scarlet thread. It's a very interesting study when you get into it. The two birds, one sacrificed and one let go, is, is obviously reminiscent of the two goats in the Day of Atonement that we've talked about. But the one that was let go out in the wilderness was referred to as the scapegoat on the Day of Atonement. So you could call this the scape bird. It's really the same thing and points to that very thing. And we know the scripture says without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. All of this points to the cross and our duty to keep applying the blood to our lives. And just because your Simon rears his sinful head once in a while doesn't mean that God doesn't still see Peter. You, you as a rock, because he lives in you. Jesus Christ lives in you, and you are in him. In our homes, just because we have to do some house cleaning from time to time doesn't mean that we are filthy people, does it? We aren't filthy because we do the house cleaning. Same with our spiritual houses. We aren't filthy because there is some house cleaning to do. We are only filthy when we refuse to do any house cleaning. We have to apply the blood and continue to walk in purity or continually and constantly be in a state of being purified. More like Jesus, more like Jesus. I want more of you, God. Close your eyes for just a second and say this. I want more of you, God. Say it from your heart. Say it again. I want more of you, God. I want to be more like you. That's our heart's cry, isn't it, as Christians? That's our goal. That's what we shoot for. The house of our nation needs some house cleaning, some confession, some removal. 
some repair and replace and some purification. The house of our families. Some of our families, we need a good house cleaning. The church, the spiritual house of us as a church, relationally connected. Sometimes we need some house cleaning once in a while. There's nothing wrong with that. We just got to do it. When we don't do house cleaning, you know what happens? We become elitists. Because elitists never need to house clean. They're perfect. I like the saying, I've used it before from the pulpit here, but I like the saying, you know, we're not better than anybody else outside these four walls. We're just beggars who found where the bread is. And all we want to do is show some other beggars where there's some bread. I kind of like that. Because what are we without Jesus? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. In our own spiritual house, there's nothing... There's nothing wrong with being a clean freak when it comes to your own spiritual house. And let's just call the problem what it is. It's sin. Sin is anything that goes against the character, nature, or the word of God. It's a malignant cancer that spreads if it's not dealt with. And remember that the Israelites were to deal with the problem immediately. They weren't to hide it or dismiss it. They were to be obedient and put the purification process into motion as quickly as possible. You know, I I think it's so interesting, even in reference to cancer, and I, I hate that word cancer because it's taken too many of my loved ones. We all hate that word. But that's what sin is. It's like a cancer. Sometimes cancer uh, lurks beneath the surface and goes undetected until it's too late. Some cancers are more visible and are more easily recognized. It's kind of how sin is. Some sin just sits there and lurks beneath the surface. It just kind of sits there and it does its work and it does its damage and it goes unnoticed for a long time. Church, we got to get good in this process of confession, removal, repair, and replace, and purify. We've got to get good at that. We've got to make that something that we practice regularly and not just ignore. It's so easy to ignore it, to just push it aside, to put it back here. Do you know what happens? I mean, I've talked to, to, to those in, uh, in, in Ultimate Journey enough to know this, that when, and most of you know this, when you take something that happens to you and, and, and maybe it's sin or maybe it's just even something else that somebody else's sin, right? Somebody else's sin to you can be the same, do some of the same damages as your own sin. But if you tuck that back way back here and, and you just, just bury it, that's not good. It will leak out somewhere. It will leak out And I'm not here to condemn anyone today. I want to encourage you. No matter what you've done, no matter who you may have hurt, no matter what has been done to you, no matter how you may have sinned against God, yourself, or others, or how maybe others have sinned against you, as I said, there's forgiveness in the name of Jesus for you, and there's ability for you to forgive. It's, it's there for you. And there's no reason to hang your head in shame. We've all acted like Simon when he's called us to be Peter. The only shameful thing is to do nothing about it. Because he literally went through hell 
so you wouldn't have to wallow in guilt and shame. Just confess, remove, repair, and replace, and allow yourself to be purified by the ever-cleansing power of the shed blood of Jesus. That power never runs out. There will never be a supply chain shortage of that power. The supply is infinite, and it's always readily available, and it always will be. I want to pray. Lord Jesus, we are here today, and we take a look into your word, and God, we see this process that you laid out for the Israelites for the cleansing of leprosy in their homes. But God, today we sit before you, and whether we're in this physical building or we're watching online or sitting in our living room, driving down the road, whatever it may be, God, we are, we are sitting here as a spiritual house that sometimes needs cleansing, needs purification. We're in that process, God, of sanctification, which is the process by which you make us holy. And, and God, we know that we aren't perfect. Lord, I pray that you would send your Holy Spirit and, and let not one person who hears these words feel condemned. But if it's from you, let conviction, God, let conviction come upon our hearts. That we might see our sin for what it is, and God, that we would do something immediately about it before it spreads, before it does its dirty work, before it lurks under the surface too long. God, in every person that's in this room and every person that's listening, it's different for every one of us. Some struggle with this and some struggle with that. But Lord, no matter what our burden or what our struggle is, God, I pray that we would just be able to put that on you in the name of Jesus. God, that we would confess, that we would remove, that we would repair and replace. Let your fruit of the Spirit replace those things. And God, that we would walk in that purity that you've called us to walk in. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest messages.